One, uh, as you're aware, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had a conflict today and had to cancel at the last minute. And so we sat around all yesterday on Easter thinking, who could we bring in here that would be equally as entertaining to all of us? On his last visit, he certainly was so. And Susan said, what about Jeffrey Tucker? I'm like, absolutely. Anytime he wants to come back, love to talk to Jeffrey. We'll see what he's got to say. If you don't know, uh, and things have evolved yet again since we last spoke to him. So I'll be very interested to get his thoughts. He is, of course, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute, senior economic columnist for Epic Times, author of 10 books, uh, including Liberty or Lockdown, and thousands of articles in the scholarly and popular press. Speaks widely on economics, technology, social philosophy, culture. Perfect person to help us tackle what's going on here. And, of course, one of the big questions is the panic and how are so many people, let's call it what it was, sort of, Maybe persuaded is not a strong enough word, duped into it. What happened? What happened to us? We're still trying to put those pieces together. We'll start right after this. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin. Ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it, I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And, of course, it's a special Monday show. Dr. Kelly Victory joins us today. We'll have a show tomorrow at noon, and then we will be away the rest of the week and pick up again next week. Uh, the, the sort of title for today's program was How Are the World's Smartest People Being Fooled by COVID Panic and Propaganda? Another way of saying how did they get duped? How did they get persuaded? One more time on Jeffrey. He is uh, president and founder of the Brownstone Institute, uh, let me see if I can. He's in, in, interested in discussing uh, pharma's influence over healthcare, which will sort of hope substitute today for what RFK, no doubt, would be talking about. You can follow Jeffrey on Twitter at Jeffrey, that's J E F F R E Y, Tucker, T U C K E R. One word, brownstone.org is where his writings are. Uh, and as I said, tomorrow at noon, we have Dr. Thomas Binder, who is a intensive care physician, a hospitalist, who was put in a psychiatric hospital for raising questions about some of what caused the smartest people to uh, be fooled. He spoke up, and guess what? He was hit with a sledgehammer. So please welcome Jeffrey Tucker. It's so nice to be here. Welcome Thank back. You. And I'm, I'm embarrassed, mortified. I'm mortified that I'd be substituting for Robert F. Kennedy. That's, that's outrageous. Well, I hope you're not more. That man has had a bead on this problem for uh, a long time before most of us were even aware of it. That's right. Uh, we are hearing a weird uh, sort of uh, crackle here. Caleb, I'm sure you're hearing that as well. Can we just forge on or do we need to do anything? Yes, there right is some, something odd. Is, is, are you still there, Jeffrey? Yeah, it, yeah, it, you might have yeah, switched it's like it. like a loose connection. Yeah, it, it seems like there's a loose connection that must have happened right before you came on air. I'm going to cut over back uh, to you. You know... The, yeah, I'm yeah, going to work on open that. up a different browser. Okay, good, perfect, yeah. perfect. That's yeah. always that's Susan's that's Susan's go-to, and Susan came running in here at the last second. Those of you who are on Twitter Spaces heard her because uh, she was stuck in LA traffic. Oh yeah, which is I mean that's really I mean you were traveling 
what, noon and still <laughs> bumper to bumper traffic. No, I think th there was a car that flipped over the side on the 210. Mm. So it took me up the one 710. Mm. It was faster. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was another accident. Uh, there's just a couple of accidents. I see. So you got bad luck. bad luck. Yeah. Right yeah. Oh, there's Jeffrey again. You back? Yeah. How does this does it sound better? Much better. Beautiful. Awesome. 100%. Awesome. Completely resolved. See? I'm glad I said well, something. So for um, troubleshooting for the future, what, let me, this let, is Chrome instead of Firefox. Okay, fair enough. Let let me let me ba back off for a second and just ask what has been on your mind lately before we sort of launch into the stuff we want to discuss. Are there things since we have last talked? I have, you know, Kelly has very kindly booked a lot of people that I've interviewed, some of whom I've really agreed with, but uh, every one of them I learned a new little piece of the puzzle. It's a, it's just mm -hmm. extraordinary. All the things that mm -hmm. were not apparent to us when this was all happening. And I can right. sort of put, I can piece together an, uh, sort of an understanding, or I hate the word narrative, but I can understand this sort of as narrative what went down, why it went down, why the extraordinary uh, sort of mass formation psychosis. That that's another matter. Mm -hmm. and that's the one we want to talk about. But what else has been on your mind of late? Uh, well, uh, Doctor, I can't get my head out of March 2020. Unfortunately, uh, I keep taking it apart uh, almost you know, certainly day by day, but even hour by hour. And I very recently discovered and isolated the actual day in which they came to to Trump and even learned what it is that they said to him to cause him to pull the trigger. As we know, uh, uh, the, under the official story that you hear from Burks and and and, and Kushner and Pence and some of the other uh, stories, um, he was completely naive about the virus. And they went to him on the 14th and 15th, the weekend, and said, look, it's really bad. Uh, you have to lock down the country. He said, oh, I didn't know. Okay, I'll give you two weeks. Well, I don't mm -hmm. think that that's true. I don't, I don't think that whole story is right. And there's been a number of things that have bothered me about that story. Uh, one is that um, uh, on the 12th was the day that he blocked all travel from Europe. That was a dramatic decision. We didn't even know the president mm -hmm. could just decide that you can't come from Europe um, and Australia and the UK. So, uh, so there was something already brewing in his head. You remember that press conference that night? He accidentally said that he was blocking all goods too, <laughs> which uh, the mm -hmm. White House had to correct the next day. So something had already changed. And then on the 13th, that was a very critical day because that was the declaration of emergency. It was also the day of the World Health Organization uh, de declared the uh, this to be a pandemic, but very, very crucially, the uh, uh, Department of Health and Sh Human Services shipped out a, a classified PDF that uh, laid out an org chart for how the pandemic would be handled. <clears throat> CDC and NIH were going to be charged with operations, but policymaking was transferred over to the National Security Council. So hmm. that was really without precedent in American history. Never before has anything remotely like this happened. But if you look at the org chart on that day, March 13th, <clears throat> it clearly puts a National Security Council in charge. So uh, the idea that that Trump was just bumbling around naively and then, you know, he's surrounded by Pence and Kushner and Scott Gottlieb and others on the weekend, who, and then they decided to issue that March 16th edict that all... Uh, indoor and outdoor venues where people congregate should be closed. That was the exact words of the edict 
on March 16th. But the idea that that he had to be talked into that on the weekend, that otherwise it was a surprise, can't be right. Either that or or he didn't he didn't know anything. But actually, if you look back at his Twitter account, you notice something very interesting. Mm. On March the 9th, which would have been, I think that would be a, a Tuesday, uh, he had tweeted out that this was just a flu and that people die from the flu all the mm. time and that pandemics come and go. Was, you know, the, the bad viruses come and go and we'll figure it out. And it'll go away and uh, the, you know, just grow up, everybody. Just shake it off. On the 11th, uh, he tweeted out something completely different. He said that all the powers of the federal government were going to be used to combat this virus. Okay, so that's a hmm. and, and you know between between uh, the ninth and the eleventh, uh, something dramatic happened to him. And so I I what I've mapped out in my article on the topic is that I I think I I, I know what happened now. And again, I can't prove this necessarily because a lot of it is classified information, as you see. Once the National Security Council takes over something, it's suddenly buried in secrecy. But I think mm. what happened to him is that, is that Fauci and Michael Pottinger and a handful of others came to him and said, Mr. President, you have this virus all wrong. This is not a textbook virus like you, you, you were used to. This is very likely a bioweapon from China, and therefore it has to be dealt with very differently. The good feature of this, from your perspective, is that we did sequence the virus back in January when China was still uh, Chinese scientists were still sharing information with us. We, we we snagged the sequence and already we're working on an antidote for it. So by the summer, we'll be able to manufacture uh, hundreds of millions of 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 these uh, vaccines, distribute them to population, protect the population, and. And Mr. President, while there have been great presidents in the past, Lincoln, FDR, Wilson, and so on, uh, nobody will have done anything remotely as uh, extreme and wonderful and glorious as this. You will have locked down the population, protected them from a, a Chinese bioweapon, a country you despise. And then uh, under a warp speed arrangement, you will have uh, distributed the vaccine to the uh, masses of the population. And if, and if that doesn't sweep you into a re-election, nothing will. So I think that's what they said to him on the 10th. So that was the 10th, and that's, that's when he changed his, his outlook on things. And so he fully expected in his mind, his goal was to protect everybody from the virus, so minimizing cases, they got, that's point one, minimize cases as much as possible, isolate, mm -hmm. um, close everything. And then- Two weeks though, right? We, yeah, but, and they said two weeks, but, you know, they came to him uh, 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 less than two weeks later um, after his announcement that maybe he wants an Easter opening, uh, which was longer than two weeks. So that was his way of broadcasting the fact he was open to a longer, longer period. It wasn't- an mm -hmm. opening goal that was and they came to him and said mr president we need another 30 days we're just not quite there yet and if you open now you're mm -hmm. going to be blamed for every new case and every death will fall on you and you'll lose election right so then he granted another 30 days and he didn't really catch on to what was going on around him until uh until for sure until june uh really and recall that throughout the the months of, of april and may 
He was railing against the states that were opening up. You can't open up without White House permission. We have an opening plan for you. Follow the rubrics, and we've, we've got all this stuff worked yeah. out, and so on and so on. So then he changed his mind and realized he'd been uh, fed a, a, a bunch of baloney. And, uh, and that's when he was watching Fox News and saw Scott Atlas on TV. Gave him a call and said, look, I need a, I need a second opinion around here. So Scott Atlas showed up. And they spent uh, some loving, interesting days and nights together where Scott Atlas told him basically that this is, in fact, a textbook virus. There is such a thing as natural immunity. The gradient of risk of the virus is not anything like what Fauci told the Senate on March the 11th. Uh, so he's wrong. And these people are not following the science. The actual science says something very different from what you think. So, so that's when Trump changed his mind. And once Trump changed his mind, he thought that the rest of the world would change with him, right? He was like, oh, forget about COVID. This is dumb. Right. It's just open. Right. But, but by then, he had completely lost control of everything. And he never really issued an opening up edict uh, comparable to his edicts of the Mar March 13th and March uh, 16th. So anyway, Dr. Right. that's... Right. My best scenario. It kind of fits, I, particularly the, the the most fascinating part, though, is when he changes his mind. That that's the part I'd like to someday have some deconstruction on. Like what mm -hmm, happened mm -hmm. there? Because but, but certainly when he gradual. did change his, yeah, when he did change his mind, now we have Burks running off by herself and evangelizing for lockdowns in all the states, and then the states running amok, like California and whatnot. And anything Trump said at that point, they did the opposite. If you remember, Trump was saying, hey, take it easy. I don't think you need to stay locked down. We're locking down. And so that was it. That was where it really spiraled into an insanity. And I'm guessing that that people who – I we got to think about that moment in the pandemic too because that's when they really started working on the panic. Because I remember – I, well, it was actually well underway before that. The, the press was just in this frenzy to, to the word grim and staggering. Those words were mm -hmm. on their lips every other sentence. And I don't know even yeah. what they were talking. And I kept saying, what are the, and we, when we get up into in the hundreds of thousands, what word are you going to use? <laughs> the, the, that's when it's actually going to be staggering. What, 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 what word do you guys plan to use? Uh, and it just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's now at a point where... It's like they can't let go of it, almost like some sort of a, of it's become a, almost an identity or something or a religious orientation. Yeah. Is that what I'm seeing? Yeah. It became an ideology very quickly on. I mean, really, in, in, uh, it really was March. March 10th was sort of the turning point. That was when the, the press started warning everybody and saying this is the end of the world. Uh, New York Times it was already on board with the idea of panic, and they, they ran their famous article on on uh, February 28th called uh, to take on the coronavirus, go medieval on it, right? That was their thing. But that was, that was not quite two weeks earlier. Um, but, uh, but the rest of the press began to catch on over the following uh, uh, two weeks. And then by the 10th, they were, they, panic was, the panic was the only, was the word watchword of the day. You know, it was like, do whatever they well, panic is say, this is, this, this is the end of the world. And so on it went. So yes, I, um, I, I had and, someone in a newsroom, a news director come up to me in a local newsroom here in Los Angeles and say, this is a, and he said it by the way, about six months after, like maybe in the fall, he said, well, this is an extinction event, correct? This is an extinction for the human species. And I was like, are you 
are you freaking? I was like, what? What have we done to people? Like this is yeah. this is nothing, zero, yeah. zero probability of anything like that. It's right. incredible. What, what a lot of it was Hollywood, right? I mean, we had a lot of pandemic movies coming out over the previous decade, and there was, and it's Hollywood, right? You don't get your virology from Hollywood, presumably. But in all these Hollywood movies, uh, there's always a virus that's widespread and deadly. Well, it turns out in the yeah. real world, those those things operate uh, really in, in a trade-off relationship. I mean, the more prevalent something is, the less the severe it is, and vice versa. And, you know, because we evolved with viruses, and this trade-off is just part of what exists. We can go into that or, or not. And there's a there's a condition well, there and, called but, latency, you know, but... But generally, yeah. but uh, to be fair, gonna... to be fair, if 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 somebody really believed it was a bioweapon that maybe had combined both those features, which I'm sure if you're making a bioweapon, <sighs> that's what you're planning to do. Um, I, I could get where people would be frightened, but then the yep. evidence was the evidence. And and now here's the other thing I, we've learned. Uh, I'm going to go to break in just a second and bring Kelly in here. But we also learned that there was a an extraordinarily developed pandemic ink. Pandemic INC that was developing. Uh, they were doing war games. And they were deeply yep. involved with each other. These were professionals that were dedicated in their life to preparedness and execution of pandemic. That has never existed before in medicine or anywhere else. That is a new professional. That is a new group. That's a new society. They yep. were ready. They could not wait to pull the trigger. Yep. When you're a hammer, the whole world is a nail. And mm -hmm. they were deeply involved with their Chinese colleagues. So when the thing hit, they were persuaded by the Chinese colleagues. I'm, I'm Caleb. You know what I want to show here. I want to show Jeffrey the graph that the Chinese colleagues showed our scientists as what was documented per the effectiveness of their lockdown procedures. They convinced. The, our, our scientists, that locking down was the only way to go, it absolutely categorically worked, and it just, it just let us look at our data, and I'll show you the graph in just a second when Caleb gets it up there. Do you see the yellow line, Jeffrey, on the front of this magazine, of this, of this book yep. by uh, Michael Sanger? That yellow line is the line that our scientists saw. The virus is going up, 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 and then they lock down, and it flatlines throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Which is total BS. It's complete and total, yeah. total BS. That was so they believed that. Yep. It was a political maneuver. That's what it looked like. It looked like they were doing something political because there was no medical indication for what they were doing. No one had ever contemplated that medically. It was something to impress their up the up authorities or whatever. Then we have found through talking to Michael Singer, who wrote that book we were just looking at, that in Italy the the polit the politician in charge of Lombardy, which is the first, well, I guess you'd call it district in the in the world to lock down after China, that politician he wrote a book after he locked down Lombardy, and in that book explained that he really didn't think he could do anything for COVID, but he was a sinophile and he wanted to bring Chinese style governing to the Italian peninsula, and this was his opportunity. And that was why he locked down. Unfortunately, when the rest of the world saw that lockdown, that's when people followed suit. That's when it actually sort of mm -hmm. unfolded. So there was these elements operating at the same time. That's right. Um, and, and, and Trump had several conversations with Xi Jinping, and, and in each conversation, she 
emphasize the fact that he'd defeat the virus through lockdowns. Um, and let us not forget that the World Health Organization uh, sponsored a kind of junket tour of Wuhan and five other cities that that commenced on February 16th and lasted uh, the better part of a week, during which time they got a kind of Potemkin Village tour of, of the glory of lockdowns. And the World Health Organization mm -hmm. released on, I'm trying to keep this date straight, uh, it might have been, been February 26th or 28th, they released a report written by uh, the, the Stanford-trained uh, American epidemiologist who was working for the World Health Organization at the time uh, that said that uh, China defeat the virus through brutal lockdowns. Now, on that trip was uh, Clifford Lane who is Fauci's assistant at NIH. So the, the U.S. signed off on that report, and that was distributed very widely in late February. So everybody thought that lockdowns were the way to deal with the virus because that's what China showed everybody. Uh, and uh, and my, my friend Jay Bhattacharya says that in absence of that report, uh, that the, the lockdowns would never have come to the U.S., but it was the blessing of the World Health Organization of uh, pandemic uh, uh, planning and lockdowns that, that brought them to the U.S. And you're right that they were never part of pandemic planning. In fact, we, they, were, they were never part of the CDC's plans, really. But there was a kind of uh, industry that had developed gradually over the previous 15, 15 mm -hmm. years with all the germ games and all the rest of it. And the Constitution mm -hmm. and medical science and everything was never part of that. It was always about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, putting into gear all the government uh, 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 agencies and, and lines of authority and, you know, generals you know, running around, you know, the, the usual bit. And they were yeah. war they were germ gaming this up until the last moment, all the way through uh, uh, November and December of uh, 2019, uh, two months into what we know now in retrospect was the spread of this virus throughout the United States and Canada. Yep. So it was a fait accompli uh, that this was going to happen once. Um, Fauci and Ferrar were on the phone in the first week of February, and they decided to contact the military about this and national security about this because for fear of a lab leak, right? And then it was mm. just a matter a matter of time. And Trump was actually the last one to know. You know, they finally just came to him. Listen, you marionette idiot. You need to shut up about how this is a textbook virus and get on board with us. And he said, oh, okay. Uh, uh, that mm -hmm. took them uh, the better part of a month between February 4th and, um, and March 10th to finally get their, their ducks lined up. And then next thing you know, uh, <laughs> is the end of all uh, uh, rights, liberty, and, uh, uh, and, and science itself. Wild. All right, we're going to take a little break. And as always, I, I learn every interview, I learn something. And this has been a very interesting piece of that, that history, again, putting the pieces of this puzzle together. And uh, last time we were here, we were talking about Burks's uh, biography, where she uh, still unre uh, unrepentantly enthusiastic about the lockdowns that she brought upon wow. the world but i'm wondering if she continues to feel that way but we got to take a quick break i want to bring kelly victory in here We've got a lot more to talk about jeffrey tucker in the house with us follow him at thebrownstone.org or also on twitter jeffrey tucker we'll see you in a minute springtime is here and personally i can get red and irritated skin during these months especially when i travel but now i have an extra layer of protection thanks to genucel skincare genucel's ultra retinol formulated with the most powerful retinol alternative bakukiol 
and proprietary MDL technology soothes irritation and visibly targets red blotchy skin. And the under eye cream, of course, helps hide the bags and puffiness that you can get from travel and just lack of sleep generally. In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of GenuCell Redness Repair Intensive during a recent unplanned moment of our show, repairing my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That is how fast these products work. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at GenuCell.com. I've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. Visit GenuCell.com slash Drew today and check out the personalized packages from Susan and myself bundled with our favorite GenuCell serums and remember to use the promo code DREW for an extra 10% off. All orders are upgraded to free shipping. Plus, if you order now, every subscribe and save package gets a free spring spa package with three of GenuCell's best-selling spa products ready to try in the comfort of your own home. One more time, that is GenuCell.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Drew. Over the last few months, no doubt you've heard a lot about spike protein, certainly on this program. The reality is once lockdowns are well behind us, we will likely still be dealing with the effects of COVID and potentially the COVID-19 vaccines. Therefore, the spike protein may prove to be an important part of our story. With that in mind, I want to introduce you to the wellness company's spike support formula. Whether you've been vaccinated or not, spike protein may be something you have become concerned about. Good news is that there's some interesting research on how to potentially deal with it. Studies have suggested that natokinase and dandelion root are showing some potential in protecting you and your family. Our friend Dr. Peter McCullough and the team at the Wellness Company have the only product on the market that contains both natokinase and dandelion root. In addition to the natokinase and the dandelion root, the Wellness Company's spike support formula also includes natural antioxidant ingredients such as black sativa, extract, green tea, and iris sea moss, all thought to help boost immune health. Go to twc.health slash Drew to order today. Use code Drew at checkout for 10% off today. Buy gold and get a free save to store it in. You heard right, on qualifying purchases from Birch Gold Group, now through March 31st, they will ship you a free save directly to your door. Here's the deal. Fed keeps raising rates because it is the only tool they have to keep inflation under control. But it isn't working. You can't spend your way out of inflation. And you've seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation by owning gold, whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in tax-sheltered retirement accounts. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew for your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. Again, visit B-I-R-C-H Gold, birchgold.com slash D-R-E-W. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7. 
a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh, boy. <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. And Kelly, welcome back. And you're here with Jeffrey Tucker. Hey, Jeffrey Tucker. So happy to have you here today. Thank you for spending your afternoon with us. Uh, lots to ask you about. And by the way, I don't know what exactly your academic background is, but I never fail to be impressed when somebody who I presume wasn't formally scientifically trained is able to succinctly and quite accurately summarize some things having to do, for example, with virology. You are spot on mm -hmm. that despite what mm -hmm. uh, Hollywood would lead you to believe, we don't have big, bad viruses that are, are fatal to 80% mm -hmm. of the population and travel rampantly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you yep. came to the conclusion that the average individual for scientists, for whatever reason, couldn't, which is that we've known, we've always known that as viruses mutate, they become highly mm -hmm. contagious and less severe. Yep. If a virus wiped out the entire population that it came in contact with, it would die and wouldn't spread. That's the nature of viruses. Right. So uh, good right. on you. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> my training is in economics, but in this pandemic, uh, uh, hit us. The uh, very first thing I did was, uh, uh, well, I read about the subject of viruses and one of my favorite called Cell Biology for Dummies on Amazon. And I, unlike most intellectuals outside of medicine, uh, actually spent some time with that book. And that yeah. took me to the works of Sinetra Gupta, you know, who's just this great yeah. theoretical epidemiologist who wrote a whole book. I think her name of the book is something like, Should We Fear Pandemics? I mean, you know, and she discusses right. the, the dynamics, again, prevalence, <clears throat> trading off with severity subject to latency. And uh, that's, that's all discussed in her book. So it was one of the most frustrating things for me was that uh, once people are codified as intellectuals in whatever field they're in, they, they think that there's nothing else to learn. So when the pandemic hit, 
you know, you had historians and economists and sociologists and anthropologists and everybody, blah, 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 about the subject without ever having to take taken out an afternoon to actually learn about the subject and what they're commenting on. You know, it was outrageous and intellectually irresponsible in the extreme. These are those world's smartest people and they can't be bothered to pick up a book. Well, I, I, I have said from the beginning of this, Jeffrey, I really hope that the next crisis involves something like international financial markets or commodities pricing or something I know nothing about so that I can opine incessantly and argue with people like you who have advanced degrees and spent their entire career uh, studying and writing on this. I, I really, it will be titillating and I can't wait, but uh, that's for the yeah, next there's crisis. No, no question. Uh, the, the intellectuals were the great menace over the course of the last three years. The great great menace. They devastated us. They shocked us. They endorsed segregation. They endorsed mass quarantines against all public health experience. They they demonized, uh, stigmatized. And early on, they were stigmatizing anybody who got COVID. You know, like, oh, what did right. you do wrong? Right. Were, you, were you at a super spreader right. event? Did you fail to wear right. your mask? And so on it went. And then they demonized you for... Um, having doubts about uh, the medicine that mm -hmm. the government had just invented the day before yesterday, <laughs> shooting it up in your arms. Right. Like, I'm not so sure. Right. Wait, uh, now you can't go to the library, the theater, or a bar, or a restaurant, because you're, you're a poisonous person. You know? This really happened in our right. times. It was, it, was, it was brutal and ignorant and medieval. And we just threw out all of our you know, rhetoric about human rights and and went mm -hmm. straight back mm -hmm. to the nineteenth century, really to the middle Middle Ages. And and why and why are are so many people not seeing this or not studying it or not apologizing or you know mm -hmm. taking responsibility? It just it feels like it's a small group, like like the three of us, that are trying to come to terms with this. That was exactly as you describe it. And by the way, in addition to piling on to Kelly's desire to talk about a topic we don't know, I love the people who learned how to pronounce the name of a medication and an hour later had very strong opinions about how it should or should not be used. That was that to me was the highest level of comedy and tragedy, unfortunately. But but but. But back, yeah. back to the original question. I mean, what what, mm -hmm. what do we do to get everybody to kind of mm. e examine what they've done here? Uh -huh. uh, yeah, just to roll it back just slightly, why did so many of our intellectuals fail us? And I came to the conclusion very gradually that the reason for this is that what intellectuals are actually good about is not knowing stuff, but they're very good at reading the room. And it became clear <laughs> from the middle okay. of the march oh, what position you're supposed to take, right? It became very obvious. Well, if, as a responsible intellectual with career aspirations, I know exactly what I'm supposed to say. So I don't care what a first-year medical textbook says about viruses. That, that's of no interest to me. I've already figured out what I'm supposed to believe. Uh, the other question is, like, why are they so good at reading the room, right? And why should that matter? The reason is, that their, their professions are not very fungible in an economic sense. In other words, uh, we like to think that a tenured professor at an Ivy League school is the freest person in the world, free to speak his mind, right? Oh, he's got all the job protection, high salary in the world. Uh, everybody loves him and respects him. He can say whatever he wants. Wrong. You say the wrong thing in our times, right. you get canceled. And what does canceling mean? It means being toppled 
from your perch of power and with no net, you have nowhere to go. All these people imagine themselves to be just one or two sentences away from being homeless and unemployed. That makes them the most risk adverse crowd imaginable. Those are our intellectuals. Those are our intellectuals. They're terrified of, of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. So what they do is they spend all their time figuring out how to read the room and say the right thing for purposes of career advancement, protection, and, 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 and so they don't face that they get dreadful fate of landing in a community college somewhere teaching uh, nine hours a week, right? And, that, <laughs> so, and I understand right. that. I understand that. I mean, I get it. But uh, unfortunately, the population was trained to respect these people and believe that what they're saying is their best estimation of the truth. And the media exploited their their craven careerism to panic the population ever more. And this went on months and then even years. Uh, it's appalling. Now, as to why uh, we're not seeing a rethinking, as far as I'm concerned, the world fell apart, you know, in March 2020 and hasn't been put back together again. We're still seeing the consequences um, every day from mm -hmm. this. I mean, the fact we, we had to use Easter potatoes instead of Easter eggs over the weekend, you know, is a good indication of that. And we're seeing the effects of it and inflation and the effects of the dollar and world trade. And it's like our decline in living standards, decline in life expectancy. It's all an outgrowth of these, of these lockdown policies and everything that followed from it. Uh, I think one of the reasons we are not seeing anybody, you know, not too many people anyway, coming forward and saying I was uh, dreadfully wrong is because they were so wrong they can't admit it. So it's, it's the, the memory hole is a lot more convenient than intellectual honesty. So I think this could go on for years and years. Well, I do think I, I do yeah. think you know if you to quote to quote Mark Twain, it's far easier to fool someone than to convince them they've been fooled. Um, it, you start with that, but now I believe that these people know they were fooled. You don't need to convince mm -hmm. them; they know it. But you are correct. I believe that this is cognitive dissonance on steroids. They don't right. want to admit right. it because acknowledging that you were a fool, acknowledging that you were duped, acknowledging that you bought into it, hook, line, and sinker and that you foisted it upon others and perhaps shamed people or or severed ties with family members or friends, lifelong friends, uh, and that you stood on this moral high ground, uh, you know, ever shrinking moral high ground, but you stood on it. It is hard for people to acknowledge and be willing to say it. Um, it is a, a rare person, I think, who can stand up and say, I bought into this. I was terrified. I did not well control my fear. And I'd like to talk with you more about fear in and of itself as a huge sure. driver of what happened with this pandemic. Um, but I think it's also a, um, it, it's really uh, a failure of character in my mind uh, that someone mm -hmm. cannot stand up and say, I made these decisions, I was wrong. And I think the, the fundamental consequences of admitting they were wrong, whether those are legal consequences, financial consequences, career reputation consequences, I think at this point, I think you're right, are just too vast for, for most people to be yeah, able to swallow. And, and let's not forget that the COVID cult, the ideological uh, uh, group gathered around this sort of group think of restriction and control and you know the great three tests of compliance, the lockdowns, mm -hmm. and the masks, and the vaccines. 
there are absolutely brutal towards anybody who steps outside of the narrative. So look what happened to, what's her name? Leanna Wynn. I think she's a, a, right. a doctor yeah. who uh, used to write for the Washington Post. Maybe she still does. But she began to rethink things. Like maybe schools should be open and maybe we don't need to have masks on the kids. Maybe mm -hmm. we actually don't need to fear COVID. Maybe the risk gradient is, is, is not as uh, homogeneous as we thought. She started saying these things. And then she was to be, scheduled to be a speaker at some conference, some, some medical conference or something like that. And she was shouted down and canceled. And like, I yeah. think ultimately prevented from speaking. So, so they, they drew, they, they, they deal as brutally with anybody within their ranks who dissents as a military would deal with a deserter. You know, they get a bullet in the head as a yeah. lesson to other yeah, people. I yeah, I, I think I, I have boiled it down to to this, and I think you're right. This is a trifecta. That's one piece of the trifecta. To me, you have to begin with fear, because fear is what causes people, drives people to what I call their intellectual and emotional basement. It, fear is controlled by the most primordial, least developed part of the brain. You are incapable of truth cognition uh, when you are in that place of fear. You go to your reptilian brain where you you know freeze mm -hmm. or, or you know fight or flight, uh, that part of your brain. So you get the vast majority of people in a place of fear. You take these academics, as you said, and you elevate them. You give them the thing that is most intoxicating to them, which is power and a platform. You give them carte blanche to repeat the, okay, so that these little, these little petty tyrants are out there and are so pleased with themselves. No one ever listens to them. They're incapable of actually doing anything, which is, you know, why they're stuck in an academic institution and you elevate them. And then the third part of the trifecta is what I said, you just laid out, which is then, and then you absolutely decimate anyone who steps mm. out of line. So you need all three of those components, the fear, the elevation of the petty tyrants, and mm. then the ability to use uh, censorship and canceling and ridicule as a cudgel to shut down anybody hey, who Kelly, dares to speak otherwise. Uh, Kelly, can, can, I, can I add a little wrinkle in that in terms of how they go, how they manage to overcome the human instinct not to beat somebody up and not to use a cudgel. Mm -hmm. I noticed the other day I saw an interview with Dr. Fauci where somebody was saying, well, how do you feel? How do you feel now about the, um, Dr. Bhattacharya's uh, declaration, the, uh, uh, great Barrington declaration. the, Barrington. the great Barrington, Barrington declaration. And, and he goes, you mean just letting it rip and kill people, letting the virus rip all over the place? And and, no. and I thought, oh my God, that's not at all what they were talking about. But he's no. cartoonized these people. He's right. made them into cartoon characters with simplistic ideas that are worthy of a cartoon character, so they could smush them. Yeah, uh, if yeah. you wouldn't mind, let's just let's take a quick uh, uh, pause on that point because uh, uh, there's literally no person in the planet, even for thousands of years, who's ever believed in let it rip as a philosophy. That, that, that right. implies a complete lack of rationality. All right. Correct. So yeah. nobody advocates yep. a lack of rationality. Um, just as an example, uh, long before this pandemic, if you read any magazine uh, designed for older Americans who are vulnerable to the, uh, the flu or respiratory infections or whatever, they all recommended that during the flu season that they that they 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 stay relatively isolated, they avoid large scale events 
that 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 you know they protect themselves from from the seasonal seasonal vir- viruses. Okay, so um, that that's not let it rip. That's using your brain. You know. And and that's that's really what the Great Barrington Declaration was advocating. It wasn't a new plan for it was it was to to um, it was to add uh, some uh, so to codify and add some scientific rigor for what has long been the habits of people in the presence of pathogens with which we have evolved and learned how to deal with. So it, let it rip is not, let it rip would be something like if your, your great grandmother's inside and, and she's a little bit nervous about a, a, a flu that you, you just show up and say, no, you, you have to get, you have to get the virus. You know, that, that, right. and, right. and no, absolutely nobody ever advocated that. You know, we want to use our intelligence and our rationality in this case, Rationality would have dictated that those who are not vulnerably to, vulnerable to medically significant outcomes should, in fact, meet the virus, or I should say, put it another way, go about their lives normally, uh, even at the risk of meeting a virus. I'm sorry, you know, but we meet viruses all the time. We live in a world of patho- pathogens. That's just what, and our immune systems adapt to that because there's nothing more dangerous to human life itself than immunological naivete. It's a disaster for us to 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 constantly stay away. In fact, that's why we have such a pandemic of RSV right now, and why so many people are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. We went right. for two right. years by 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 hiding from from the pathogens, mm-hmm. which doesn't make us more healthy. It makes us sicker and more vulnerable than uh, than ever. So that's what the Great Barrington Declaration uh, recognized was that we have a delicate dance with with pathogenic spread. And that well, this particular virus, which we knew from February, if not earlier, had a, a had a huge gradient of risk that was mostly concentrated on the end of life, you know, plus comorbidities uh, cohort of the population. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that should have been carried, uh, 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 protected themselves, while the rest of the population got infected. Now, uh, maybe I shouldn't have used that word. Gone about life normally, okay. And 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 let and the virus circulates among among uh, people that are not facing medically uh, significant outcomes from during which time we work on therapeutics, which we failed to do, and and okay. figure out how to tackle this virus. What do you do when there's people are sick? You figure out how to make them well. That would have been a nice thing to think about, you know, at at the time. During that yep. time, you develop what's called herd immunity. Now, what is herd immunity? It just means that the R naught, which is the transmission rate of the virus, falls below zero, so that not everybody has to meet the virus. It means that the virus stops circulating at the same; it becomes endemic into the population, uh, so that this this live uh, virus that's that would otherwise be a threat is not a threat simply because most of the people already have immunity to it. And now the cohort that's in danger of medically significant outcomes can go about their business normally. And that process would usually take uh, two or three months, right? That's a normal. And then the seasonal waves come and you repeat it until the, until the virus becomes endemic, as in fact it has. In fact, it's the biggest out... I'm going to stop my rant here in just one second here, but the the end result of of SARS-CoV-2 and COVID is exactly what it otherwise would have been. Uh, 
which is that it is endemic in the population. We're mostly protected through natural immunity since everybody was exposed. We just prolonged it and, and painfully while destroying rights and liberties and, and our economic prospects and, and health along the way. That's the only thing that was really achieved through all these glorified mitigation uh, uh, efforts that we tried. I, I agree with you. Yes, we, we left a smoldering crater where our economy and civil liberties used to be to end up in the same place that we would have anyway with with an endemic virus. Um, one of the things I really want to ask you about, Jeffrey, is your thoughts yeah. about if we go back to my my trifecta of you've got you've got a population uh, necessarily driven uh, irrationally and, and unscientifically to a place of great fear uh, by overstating mm -hmm. their actual risks, by uh, denying the presence of natural immunity, denying that they were drugs mm -hmm. to treat this. So you've got a population in huge fear. You've got a yep. population of petty tyrants who've been elevated above their uh, natural standing to have authority. And then on top of it, you have the buy-in and the collusion of big pharma and the mainstream yep. media in order to mm -hmm. provide the propaganda arm. So when we look at your recent article that you posted, you know, this, how is it that the world's smartest people, you know, mm -hmm. got this wrong? What, in your mind, who actually got it wrong? Who, who made a mistake? versus who lied. There's a difference. Uh, right. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a big you're difference. Very, you're very clever, and, and you have a, a way of uh, putting things uh, much more concisely than I do. But you're right that those are those are different. <laughs> those are different demographics, right? There were some people that were were, were yeah. long, paid, paid liars uh, uh, mm -hmm. in the in the pay of pharma, or afraid of losing NIH grants and and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and and those maybe you could just sort of look at financial career interests, but there there was a whole another uh, a, a completely different group out there, and those those drive me crazier. That they just went along with the panic out of just sheer ignorance and people who should have right. known better and would have known better if they had just taken a few minutes to think seriously about it i mean for god's sake all throughout the month of february 2020 we had mainstream publications that were writing good solid things coherent clear thoughts uh, about this virus and, and i include their uh, slate and Psychology Today, mm -hmm. even the New York Times, the middle of February was still making sense on this issue. The information was out there. And certainly after the Diamond Princess experience, we should have understood something about right. risk gradients. Uh, so there was really no excuse, but I, I swear to you, the intellectuals are the laziest, I feel like I'm ranting against intellectuals tonight, but they are the laziest bunch. You know, society has entrusted them to think big thoughts and important things. They are lazy, fearful bunch. And in my cohort yeah. of, of economists, you know, which you would think the economists would be 100%, they just sat back and watched it all unfold. Mm -hmm. And then when they got around to it, pronounced it all good, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I, I, I'm, Pretty unforg. I have to say, I'm really too relatively unforgiving about this about this whole point because a lot of these people I really no. respected no. and admired and followed their works for years. Some of them writing gigantic treatises on how the world should work, and then and then uh, this virus comes along and they throw their books in the trash and just you know go along for the ride. I don't know. I don't. They ought to, they ought to have their licenses taken away. Actually, 
No, this is how this is how I feel about my colleagues, Jeffrey. Uh, the the most uh, distressing thing of the entire pandemic for me, perhaps, is that I have seen uh, the soft underbelly of uh, of medical mm-hmm. training and academics, and understand that my own colleagues. These are people who I, yeah. I I would say to people, I'd run into them and say, we sat next to each other in virology class. For the love of God, you know that Dang. a mask doesn't stop the spread of this. Or you know, my own colleagues removing every other chair in their waiting room to socially distance, oh. whatever but the heck that they may have they know where the virus is. Yeah. yeah, they know they can yeah. trick Kelly, the virus they, they, with, their, with their logistics. Yeah. Yeah. With their with their with their uh, potions, with their with their uh, incantations, but but they are still uh, we still have large percentages of our colleagues, Kelly, who are not just vehemently unwilling to concede that what happened yes. was anything other than what categorically had to happen, needed to happen, was thus saith the Lord wisdom, and yeah. at the same time they are still aggressively on the attack of anyone who dares to converse about anything other than that this was a glorious success. And that's the part that really bothers me. We've got to have the ability to look at this and to really get honest about it and at least look at the science and if people can't be persuaded, okay, but don't attack people who are trying to ascend to the truth. Yeah. You know, one thing I've changed my mind about over the course of three years of studying this whole thing is the power of big pharma. Like that, I was a little yes. bit blind to that. And I tell, I tell you Me why too. I became, I, why I was blind yeah. to it, was because on uh, on on February twentieth, a writer for the for the Washington Post, whose name I just escaped him briefly, writes Fauci a note and says, "Are we gonna? Are we? Why are we locking down? Why are we locking down? Is this to wait for a vaccine?" And Fauci responds, "No, it is not. We do not need a vaccine to get to get out of this pandemic." Uh, we're mm. going to get out of it by driving the R naught below uh, below one, and then it'll gradually uh, go away on its own. So it was, and oh I was when I saw yeah. that email exchange, I thought I was I was convinced by that that pharm- pharm- pharmaceuticals were never part of the mix. Uh, now I, I, I was clearly wrong about that. I'm, they were part of the mix mm. from 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 the middle of of January and arguably were driving the entire uh, COVID response, uh, uh, both in terms of its uh, uh, policies and then also in terms of its, its rhetoric. And then that was the, by means of pharmaceutical control that the, the entire uh, industry of public health and, and medicine also went along with it. So I don't really understand uh, why Fauci gave that answer that he did, uh, but whatever it was, it was deflection because he knew and uh, uh, he knew early on that ph- Big Farm was involved in this. And now that I'm, and, and I, de- I really, I deny that Big Farm, because there's a lot of people who said from the very beginning, oh, it's all about the Big Farm and the vaccine. I was like, no, it's not. Well, it probably was. It probably, so I've changed my mind yeah. about that. Well, I have, I have always had a very healthy distrust for Big Pharma, I have to say, so I wasn't caught off guard by that. Mm. But, the, but I will tell you, the tangential, very bad actor that I was caught off by, and I'm not sure how to deal with it today, is the issue of our medical journals, the scientific mm. oh journals my gosh. that are 
And yeah. so that I have to tell you in the past, I always, you know, patted myself on the back for doing my own diligence, not, you know, being yeah. very intellectually mm -hmm. curious, going to the Lancet, the journal, you know, the JAMA, the British medical journal, all of the big, the mm -hmm. top journals, not the throwaways. And now I, you know, I really did not understand just how corrupt those were and how dangerous it is when the science, quote unquote, itself has been corrupted. When the, the studies that come out are corrupted, you cannot lead public health if you have nowhere to go for good data. And those journals, uh, Jeffrey, are all owned by Big Pharma. And the conflicts yeah. of interest go so deep that I don't know how yeah. we, as a, as a as a med as you know medicine, ever find our way out of this. I, I, all throughout the pandemic, I had I was very you know with head of Brownstone. I was very much in contact with a lot of really good scientists who were doing very serious work on a whole variety of topics, whether it was about vitamin D or the failures of masking or the failures of lockdowns. What they could not get their stuff pop published. You know, the Cochrane Review mm -hmm. held on. Right. That meta-analysis by Tom Jefferson at uh, at uh, mm -hmm. Oxford for what eight ten months before they yeah, even went to at least. with it. And, the mask and then they, when they, the yeah, mask review. And when they finally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then when they finally did go to print with it, uh, a, a New York Times a reporter, I think it was a New York Times reporter, started harassing the the Cochrane Review editor, and they basically, you know, didn't quite entirely repudiate the study. They repudiated the language of the study. Like they tried to thread the needle, say, well, it's not right. really what yeah. it says it says. No, this is, this is a problem. I, 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 the, I, there, when in the past, when I would read literature that wouldn't comport with my clinical impressions, I'd, I'd go to the literature more carefully and I'd think, well, maybe I'm just seeing a biased selection or maybe I'm really not seeing this or maybe the literature will catch up, which is common. The literature is often right. six to 12 months behind what we're seeing clinically. Mm -hmm. Now, when I see these extremely rosy or, you know, sort of reports that just do not comport with what I'm seeing, I immediately assume they're not publishing the other data. So I don't know what to do. Because I've heard so right. many stories of people being unable to publish the data that doesn't go along with the so-called narrative, that questions things yeah. the way it always has. And the fact that I always see things go in one direction does not make me feel good. It makes me feel uncomfortable that there's something going on. And this is an extraordinary right. turn of events. Well, you know, for, for the better part of two or maybe three years, uh, clinical experience with this disease was, was disparaged and put down and, and considered to be mm -hmm. uh, pointless anecdotes. Uh, well, why do we care what the doctors and their patients, you know, their experiences? That doesn't mean anything <laughs> yeah. to us. We have to, we have to wait for the RCTs. Now, yep. uh, the RCTs yep. can only be done by a gigantic university with huge, uh, grants from FTX, <laughs> whatever's fun funding your study at the time. <laughs> and it takes, right. And it takes months. You have to run the data and you know, run the regressions. And it's, it's a big deal to run an RCT. Okay. So, you know, they say it's the gold standard. Yes. Well, okay. When the RCTs came out that actually contradicted any of the main stuff, then it was hard to publish those too. Right. Yep. So we right. now right. know it wasn't that they were just waiting for the RCTs and disregarding clinical experiences, that they had a doctrine in mind from the very beginning, and they're waiting for the science to catch up to it. And that doctrine was not right. defined by evidence or knowledge or much less, God forbid, experience, clinical experience. Who cares about that? 
that means nothing to us. I think it's really interesting that the, the first great truth tellers and all this kind of stuff were actually uh, doctors seeing, seeing patients. I mean, they, 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 they figured this, figured this out, uh, uh, pretty early on, you know, this was for most people, very mild respiratory infection that should be dealt with as, as doctors have long been trained to do with respiratory infections. And they said that now a lot of them were harassed within an inch of their life. And that's still going on now for having contradicted, you know, the prevailing line. But, uh, but the, the idea early on was, look, we don't, we don't care about, you know, getting people sick. We, we care about locking down the population and keeping everybody away from the virus and then, uh, and then uh, bludgeoning the population until they get the vaccine. That's the priority. Everything else is a distraction. Listen, the other thing uh, that's friend, perhaps, that's, I'm, I'm sorry, finish your thought? But it's just appalling and I get emotional talking about it. So, you know, it's just, there's so many scandals Likewise. here. I, I do. I, I think another unique component to this, had this been uh, a crisis not involving medicine, was that you have involved in this largely group of physicians, and physicians ha are are vulnerable because you can threaten their livelihoods. Unlike if you're an economist, somebody might ridicule you, you make fun of you, uh, you might not get any clients going forward. If you're a stockbroker or if you're an attorney who makes, you know, who loses his cases, but when you're talking mm -hmm. about this. Physicians were threatened. You're going to lose your license if you talk about right. ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. We're going to strip you of your ability to be on staff at our hospital. And it is happening today, and not just to a handful of people. There are people who are good friends of this show, including you know people like Peter McCullough, who have just been hounded, John Littell, we've, and mm -hmm. others who have uh, just had their lives turned upside down. And so there's a unique component that physicians were in a vulnerable position, uh, and many, mm -hmm. many of them, 80%, I'm sure you know, this is one of the changes in healthcare, unlike when Drew and I were training, 80% of physicians are now employees of a large mm -hmm. hospital or of a medical group. So when your livelihood is, is being threatened, I think that also played a role. So it, was, it wasn't mm -hmm. any one of these things. I think it was kind of, it was the proverbial uh, perfect storm to use an over, overused um, you know, analogy, but it was the perfect storm here, I think. And so your point is that when you lose your license, it's not as if you, you, know, you lose your job at one firm, so you have to go to another firm. Correct. Uh, this, right. Correct. This is everything, and it's uh, basically a career-ruining uh, move, Correct. meaning your yeah. life is ruined. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. If you, you mm -hmm. know, you don't just lose your job. You didn't lose the case that you, that you litigated. You don't lose some clients. Um, it, you, you lose your, your entire, everything you spent your entire life training to do. Uh, and for example, even those people like Peter McCullough, who have been stripped of their board certification, they still technically have a license, but no hospital will put you on staff if you're not board certified. Insurance companies mm. won't reimburse if you're not board certified. So you might as well have removed the license because you have fundamentally rendered that individual incapable of practicing their specialty or practicing mm -hmm. medicine. Uh, it wow. is a, a, um, a unique thing to physicians. And I think that that did play into this particular crisis. It surely did. Now, uh, I don't, it, it doesn't have to happen to too many, right? Only needs to happen to Correct. half a dozen uh, high profile right. cases and it sent a message to everybody else, comply or die. 
uh, but do we have any kind of estimate of how many uh, uh, physicians uh, were somehow professionally displaced or disrupted as a result of, of these kinds of edicts? Oh, and, my. And, it's got to be a very, very oh, large number. <laughs> yeah, large I'll, number. I've I mean, many, I know many, many, that many. I defended myself against seven separate uh, complaints against my license in multiple states during this past three years. And although I did it successfully each time, it is debilitating. It's exhausting. It's financially taxing. It's emotionally just, I, it's hard to even explain uh, how, and you have to drop and, and everything. Jeffrey, I, and, yeah. And, and, and do bring, and bring out research and literature and defend yourself and build right. a court case quite literally. And I don't know if you're aware, Anyone is capable of doing it at any time for any right. reason, anonymously or otherwise, no matter how spurious, they take it as though it's, again, something dropped in, you know, you don't as, even know the as name as of the person who complained. Anything else. Yeah. This might explain why uh, uh, th things have become so predictably canned in our experiences uh, these days yeah. with, uh, with with doctors. And uh, um, I try to stay away from them, as everybody should. But when you need them nowadays, the very first question is, do you have COVID? It's like, hey. <laughs> it's true. Probably. <laughs> well, how do you know? Have you taken a test? Well... Uh, no. Well, you need to take a COVID test. It's like, gee, can I just, can we talk about something other than COVID? Well, <laughs> right. uh, let me ask one more question. Are you vaccinated? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Why does that actually matter? Well, if you're not vaccinated, you need to get that done like immediately. It's like, are we going to get through this protocol here first so we can actually talk about what may or may not be wrong with me, you know? But But instead, it's like three years of this wild, uh, incantations yeah. of, of gibberish, you know, uh, and I don't know when it's ever going to end. I guess, as you say, this is the sort of risk averse way to practice medicine, right? You just, you make these yeah. incantations and then you get through that before you can actually start talking about medicine. Incredible. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's been awful. One, one last thing I see our clock is winding down, but I did want to kind of pick your brain since you have a very broad purview on things. We are seeing big changes elsewhere, meaning outside of the United States. Um, you know, clearly there were areas of the country like Sweden that never bought into the vast amount of this, uh, you know, this yeah. idiocy. Uh, they never locked down. They didn't close their schools. Um, but now you have uh, countries like Switzerland has absolutely dropped all recommendations for COVID vaccines. The UK has dropped all recommendation for COVID vaccines in children and absolutely for pregnant women. Germany, likewise, most of the Scandinavian Scandinavian countries have stopped pushing these vaccines on healthy people under the age mm -hmm. of 50, but not mm -hmm. here in the United States. Boy, yeah. safe and effective. Get your, you know, yeah. get your, fill your whole punch card and get a free Slurpee, uh, you know, get, get yeah. your 10th booster. Um, what do you think is going on with that? Uh, I, it's, it's, again, it has something to do with, uh, with Big Farm. I mean, they just cannot let it go. Uh, the U.S. and Israel were their test cases. And so like a country like Australia uh, went nuts about COVID, mm -hmm. but then they got over it. And now everybody pretends like nothing ever happened and everybody in the whole <laughs> place has just forgotten about it. It's like, ah, that was dumb. And nobody cares the vaccines, ah, lockdowns. Remember they were doing rolling lockdowns and everything? It's just, it's just gone. Um, yeah. The U.S. Uh, 
we have these administrative bureaucrats that are almost entirely captured by Big Farm, and that includes NIH and the CDC, deeply embedded. That's why the U.S. is one of the few countries in the world today that still requires vaccines for right. Uh, right. uh, for, for to come and visit the Statue of Liberty, you know, you've, you've got to be vaccinated even now. Uh, and and I think this is one of four countries in the world that does this. So I have right. friends of mine yeah. who, who used to come here, you know, twice a year who haven't visited in three years and still still can't get in. Yeah. So uh, it's just it's deeply tragic. Every American should be alarmed that mm. you know that. The, the country that sings all these moving patriotic songs about human rights and freedom, uh, where at least I know I'm free and all these things, that this has all been yep. turned on its head. And, and in yeah. terms of the COVID response, it remains uh, uh, it's really uh, just one of the most um, extreme countries in the world even now. And, and, and even with the end of the emergency declarations, you know, they're not going to touch that EUA for the vaccine. That's still right. untouched. Right. Right. In a piece of legislation passed by, by uh, the Congress, uh, the uh, authorization for the EUA uh, um, for the vaccine got transferred out of the emergency declaration so that, that even the end of emergency is not going to change that. And I don't know when this, this uh, travel restrictions are going to end. And there's still a lot of professions that absolutely require it. And habitually, a lot of civic groups and meetings are still uh, a vaccine uh, only. So this country is sort of weirdly strange uh, about this subject in, in a way which most countries in the, in the world are, are not. And Jeff, it's really Jeffrey, tra- if your friends want... If your unvaccinated friends want to come and visit you here in the states, just tell them to walk across the southern border. That's that's the that's the work around. That's the work around. Uh, you pick time you pick them up down in uh, in one of the border states. Um, yeah. You are quite right. There are. I mean, you talk about in in most of healthcare, most healthcare settings, you are required still to have a vaccine to be working. Most mm-hmm. hospitals, um, and we yeah. are at a time of unprecedented sort of you know exodus from healthcare. We are down hundreds of thousands of physicians and healthcare practitioners. This is not a time, uh, just like in the military and in law enforcement, this is not a time, um, you know, to be, I think, you know, um, in re- people signing up to be in the military, recruits are down, I think, 83%. I heard yeah. recently, you know, yeah. okay, we're we're, gonna, we're about to see the reinstitution of the draft as a result of this, yeah. uh, these vaccine mandates. I mean, think about that. I sometimes I just wonder, I'm sure you do this too. I'd like to imagine ourselves 20, 30, 50 years hence and looking back at what happened over these three years. And the, I would think the very first thing that people will notice is that during this uh, uh, once in a century pandemic, there is grave pandemic uh, that healthcare spending declined by a third, uh, 300 uh, hospitals furloughed uh, n- nurses, uh, healthcare spending just mm-hmm. you know, collapsed and doctors mm-hmm. left. And the entire uh, American sector, se- sector of healthcare in general, just went from, uh, you know, near bankruptcy to now just mass exodus as a result of the, mm-hmm. of the vaccine yeah. mandates. And, and it's like, what kind of pandemic is this? <laughs> what, <laughs> what actually happened, guys? What went wrong in 2020 yeah. to 2023? I mean, something, something absolutely dreadful happened. Let's rethink. That's why I don't think that the, the COVID uh, ideology and the, the mainstream line on this thing is really long to this world. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, 
yeah. uh, I just it's it's a it's not a compelling story. It's just a big bundle of myths enforced by payouts and bludgeons and intimidation, but it just doesn't really have the ring of truth anymore. Yeah. Well, your mouth to God's ears. Um, go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to say the clock's winding down. And so I wanted to give you the last, uh, if there's anything else on your mind, if people aren't following and reading the brilliant pieces that come out of the Brownstone Institute, they need to. Um, it's a, uh, a, there's always something really thought provoking uh, there. So I appreciate you. Uh, that. Uh, but Jeffrey, mm. please, if there's anything else, um, great to have you back with us. And I hope you'll do it again. Uh, you always have eye-opening uh, insights. Well, uh, for, for well, me. I would love to come back because we're discovering new things every day. And that's part of yeah. why yeah. I, I I love what I do. But, you know, we, we're, we're investigating every day. We, uh, you know, we, there's a lot of us and we share information. We're trying to to, to crack this nut, uh, I feel like we're, we're making progress, but still there's so many unknowns. And yeah. I do not believe that we can really just move on from this without developing a fuller, yeah. more robust understanding of what happened to us. Because I until agree. we completely that, agree, we really cannot heal as a country. We cannot regain our liberties. Yeah. Uh, we need... Uh, a truth wherever that leads but yeah. but yeah. but but we need to keep investigating keep researching and we're doing it every day Terrific. before we let you go um as a result of some of the investigation we've been doing we talked we end up talking to a lot of um, scientists who have come from china people who study china and so uh, my producer and wife has gotten very exorcised on the topic of China. And uh, I think she had a question for you. Susan, do you want to ask your oh, question? Oh, great. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to have a conversation about what happened over the weekend and how you were talking about Chinese propaganda and how, you know, we were sold all this stuff. And basically Taiwan was having military exercises uh near Taiwan and they were reporting it as, oh, it's just, you know, we're, we're trying to make, you know, Xi is trying to make a better tomorrow or whatever. And I could just tell it was written by, well, it was written by a Chinese person, but, um, but I, I could tell it was done on a holiday because there aren't a lot of news reporters out there, you know, on a Easter Sunday ready to report. And I was just curious what you guys, what your take was on that, because it, I've always known that China was going to do something eventually, and I think it's here. Yeah. I, I seriously yeah. do. Um, I, 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 I agree nobody with that. seems I think, to care. Yeah, well, they should. Um, I really the destabilization, destabilization of the world, uh, a lot of the uh, COVID lockdowns and everything that followed has been uh, deeply troubling, and I find it just absolutely incredible. This should have been. The COVID response in China should have led to uh, the disruption of the Chinese Communist Party. It should have led to uh, a rotation in office, at the very least, for Xi Jinping. It was a disaster for him. But thanks to the West's response to this, it became his moment of greatest triumph. I mean, he exported a brutal strategy for dealing with a common respiratory virus to almost the entire world with the exception of a handful of nation states. That's something that a statesman 
uh, in our lifetime has never achieved before. And it was the West that, that made that possible. Um, and and it's, a, it's a tragic thing for, for China and, and especially for all the, the countries around it. Their, their imperial conquest of, of the region, if not the world, is, is closer to becoming a, a reality now than it was five years ago. Happy with that, Susan. Good times. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, and it's it's just, it, but it's like, okay, what's next, and where's he going next, and when are we going to be affected by this again, and why are we not more uh, proactive and trying to avoid anything for the future? You know, we're just kind of sitting back and waiting, and and then. As far as we know, as far as we know. I, well, and all, I don't all know anybody anything. care about is that we keep the dollar as the international reserve currency as long right. as that's true, then yeah. nobody cares yeah. at all. But I mean, that, you know, may not be long for the world either, because we've right. got uh, the BRICS nations, you know, just all kind of ganging right. up on the U.S. And I really do think uh, uh, that this is the the end. These days are really represent the end of everything you would once called the American empire, you know, and some aspects of that are probably good, but, but it also means that also will coincide with economic regression, stagflation and, 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 and a reduction of, of cultural influence around the world. And unfortunately a dramatic decline in those ideals for which America has long represented for really the whole world, the declaration of independence and, and again, all those patriotic songs and everything. So this is a kind of a new dark age. And I'm, I, I, I wish there was something we could do to, uh, to stop it. And we're doing all we can. I do know this. If we do nothing, that's a guarantee that the bad guys are going to win the struggle. So, you know, we should all. I call it the book of Revelation 2023 edition. Um, that's my, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to push back on both of you guys though, because I can remember words like that coming out of people's mouths in 1979 and 1980. And I remember sitting down and the whole country had to watch <laughs> Jason Robards in the movie the day after, because Ronald Reagan yeah. was going to cause a nuclear Holocaust for sure. And so I'm going to, I'm going to let history be my guide and push back and say, I don't know. We've, we certainly are right if we don't change direction, but We've have a history of doing so, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put my bet down on that. <laughs> I hope you're right, Doctor Drew. I want you to be right. I, really I live with this guy. I, I, okay, I'm, just I'm, say I'm, no. I'm going to act as if you're right. How about that? <laughs> there we <laughs> go. Act as if. It's a good way to go. As oh, if. I'm more cynical than that. All right, uh, Jeffrey Tucker. We appreciate you as always, and uh, I hope you'll let us bug you to come on in here and uh, share more new ideas with us as they come along. It's always my pleasure, and ask me anytime. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Jeffrey Tucker, everybody. Brownstone.org is where you want you to go. And then, Kelly, for you and I, I think we have a little time away from one another. Is that accurate? Is that what I'm seeing? We uh, are back. back. Oh, you're here tomorrow. Okay. Oh, good. No, no, Oh, my God. No. So this is great. Aren't you? Wait. I, Who's no. the guest tomorrow? <laughs> She's not, not here tomorrow. No, I don't think she was here tomorrow either. Oh, yeah. okay. I, uh, yeah. I'm so, back. Uh, I'm back. I can be, but I'm back on the uh, 18th, I think, right? Monday. Yes. Back yes. Monday, right? Yes. No, that's yes, Tuesday. Tuesday. That's a Tuesday. With uh, Naomi Wolf. Back in the 18th with Naomi, oh, yes. And then we've got uh, we've got uh, Asim Mahatra coming back, which I'm super excited about the following week. Um, and, Actually, and hopefully, hopefully uh, possibly Robert Malone. I, think, I yeah. think Naomi is on the 17th, if I recall. No, she's the 18th. I, guys, 18th. I'm... 18th. I'm 
I'm starting to get scared that this is going to become part of our brand that at the end of every show yes. we don't know what's coming out because this well, is very consistent. Well, let me do two things. Let me do. I, I know. I know. Who has is. Gutfeld? I have a very. Do you have Gutfeld on Tuesday? We're not going to discuss our schedule so. right now. I got their direction from. I heard what Caleb is telling us in his kind way. Listen to this. <laughs> two things. Two things. A, uh, I'm going to talk to that uh, intensivist who was put in a psychiatric hospital in Switzerland tomorrow. I, I can't wait to talk to that guy. It's okay. the saddest story I ever heard. I'll yeah. find out more details. Yeah. And uh, that that's going to be interesting tomorrow at noon, different time than usual. And then, I, and I just, two minutes, you and I for a second. As time goes on, um, I'm getting less worried about the vaccine myself because there's less, I really feel like the, the and you, you can correct me on this, but I'll just tell you where my head's at lately. Because the, the really stuff I was seeing uh, when I was concerned was after the first booster. That's when I was starting to see stuff, particularly in young people. And it made it really difficult to make a recommendation on what young people should do. I feel like we're at the point now where Omicron is benign enough that the vast majority of people, young, are not even like thinking about it anymore. Uh, and older people, we can kind of make nuanced decisions about depending on their underlying medical conditions and how old they are and that kind of thing. So I have found myself being less emotionally concerned about the vaccine. Am I right or you need to set me straight? Well, here's where I see it. I think you are correct because of the weakening of the virus and the fact that so few, the reality of it uh, is that it's really akin to a common cold right now. Uh, very, very, yeah. I can't remember the last time I had a patient or even knew of somebody who needed to go to the hospital, let alone be admitted for COVID. So you are correct that people, that the interest in the boosters is therefore dropping off. It is waning. Uh, and there's no question that the data, they're very clear that adverse events seem to occur very quickly following the following the boosters the problem drew is that these things are additive they're cumulative we know that the lifespan of the spike proteins the lifespan of the mrna yeah. Exceeds right. the efficacy, any potential efficacy of the vaccine. So there are people. We you have the first wave of adverse events, which is those people who develop a blood clot or develop myocarditis. But there's the lights up. There are all these people where we just don't know what yeah. percentage of the population no, is suffering from suppression of their immune system okay. and is going to have yeah. nuance of cancer and on and on and on. Yeah. Okay, so this, so so this is so now we're gonna we are worrying about the, the so you you actually confirmed what I was feeling, but you also confirmed what we now need to worry about, which is why we're going to continue analyzing and looking and seeing what's going on here. Right. So right. okay, so we're right. I'm sort of in I sort of in the same zone you and I. All right, well we will be back together uh, with Naomi Wolf and she has lots of Maybe. stuff. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> Here we go. There goes our brand again. I think we're doing an earlier show that right, day. Whatever. Is that correct? We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Don't you worry. I'll, I'll announce tomorrow once we get all straight. Kelly, can, Kelly you can you come earlier? <laughs> have a, I just confirmed Godfell. Like I, just you didn't. Let, we'll do it later. Not on the show. Kelly, I'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you, guys. We'll see you tomorrow at noon. Time I will Pacific. see you. Sounds good. Take care. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. 
If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 